Well, good morning. Like that music, da-da-da-da, man, keeps you going. Well, we are beginning, as Brent said, a new series called The Lies We Believe. We're going to try to expose some of the lies, maybe lies we heard from TV or maybe lies we heard from school or maybe lies we heard from home or as a child growing up or maybe even lies that we heard at the church that we attended. We're going to try to expose some of these lies that can have a negative effect upon us even now as adults. Now, I'd like to begin by kind of conducting a little survey. So I've got kind of like holistically lies we believe. I'd like to begin by asking you five questions, all right? First question is this. How many of you growing up, uh, you believed and you were taught about the tooth fairy? Can I see your hands? Almost all of you. When I was a little guy, I used to get quarters. I hear today, tooth fairies leave like tens and twenties. I mean, this is kind of getting ridiculous. All right. How many of you were taught about a, a guy by the name of Santa Claus? Can I see your hand? How many of you believed in Santa Claus? Can I see your hand? How many of you still believe? I got my hands up. I still believe. I, I do. I, I, I still believe in Santa. I love that guy. All right, question number three. How many of you were taught about the, the Easter bunny? Can I see your hands? Easter bunny. I'm still trying to figure out how that bunny had those eggs that I used to search for as a little kid, but, uh, you know, we, we were taught about the Easter bunny. Now, how many of you uh, were taught about the great pumpkin? Charlie Brown fanatics. We have a few there. Okay, some of you knew about and were taught about the grain pumpkin. All right, question number five. Now, this one's a little more personal in nature. Um, how many of you, and I, I want you to raise your hand, okay, because I, I, I was taught this or heard this. Um, how many of you were taught that you should always wear clean underwear <laughs> in case you are in a car accident? Didn't you hear that? Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Now, we have no picture to illustrate that one, right, guys? Okay, no data there. But it, it, it's amazing what our parents will do to get us to change our underwear, you know? It's amazing what our parents will do to kind of get us to behave. You know, you better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. You know, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. You better behave or else, you know? Now, when we become teenagers, we kind of hear lies like, if you speed, you will get a ticket. Oh, don't you dare go one mile. You, you will get a ticket. If you text and drive, you will wreck. You will wreck. Take it from Father. You will wreck if you text and drive. If you have sex, you will get pregnant. Right? If you don't study, you will not get into college. I unfortunately knew all kinds of friends that never studied. You've never studied in college. You know, if you drink, I, I, I kind of heard this one. Sorry, mom and dad, they're here. Um, if you drink, you will become an alcoholic. Oh, yeah, that's right. You still believe it, don't you? If you just have one drink, you're going to become an alcoholic. Or how about this one? If you dress like that, you will become a prostitute. How many of you are prostitutes? Become a prostitute? No. <laughs> how many of us have heard lies like that as a teenager, you know? And many of these lies... Many of these lies that we heard growing up, they, they, they were harmless, and others of them are very harmful, and they can be crippling us as an adult. Simple little lies that we have come to subconsciously or even consciously believe can be holding us back. It's kind of like you're a bird and you're trying to fly and you've got a broken wing, and you're, you're going through life, but life is hard because you've got a broken wing. You're trying to fly through life, but life is it's difficult because you, you got a broken wing. And that broken wing is a lie that you have subconsciously 
chosen to believe and to begin to base your life upon. Jesus said, I have come. My purpose in coming, I have come so that they may have, what's the word? Life. Man, I want you to have life. And I want you to have it to the, what's the word? Full. Jesus wants us to live life to the full. He doesn't want us to be like a bird going through life with a broken wing trying to fly, but experiencing so much pain and so much hardship. Jesus wants to give us life to the full, but the lies we have come to believe are holding us back. Holding us back from personal happiness. They're creating guilt and doubt and worry and anxiety and fear, depression in our lives. A lot of our unhappiness and emotional struggles stem from simple lies that we told ourselves, and over time we've come to consciously or subconsciously believe them to be true. And our emotional well-being will remain on shaky ground until we clearly identify those lies and we replace them with the truth. Jesus said, read it with me, can you? When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let's all read it together like every single person in here. You ready? When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We need to know the truth. We need to know the truth about ourselves. We need to know our truth about life. We need to know the truth about marriage. We need to know the truth about God. Because when we know the truth, we will be set free to fly, to soar, and to live and to have an experience a better life. Life to its full. You see, lies produce emotional misery. Truth produces emotional health and a better sense of well-being. Now today, we kind of want to begin this new series by, by looking at lies that we kind of tell ourselves. Self-lies. We're going to look at three self-lies this morning. There's a lot more than that. But we're going to look at three this morning. And the, the first one probably is the most damaging to us. That's the lie that we tell ourselves subconsciously that I must be, what's the word? Perfect. I must be perfect. Now let me ask you some questions to see if maybe, because some of you see that up there and say, well, I don't believe that lie, you know. Let me just ask you some questions to see maybe, maybe more than you realize subconsciously you are living a life based upon this lie. All right, I've got a couple questions for you. Question number one is this. Do you find great satisfaction in your work? And what you're doing, right? We do, I do, to the point of exhaustion. See, that, you know, the reason why I hold on to these lies because there's always some truth in the lie. The reason why I believe some of these lies because there's always some truth in the lie. But there's also lies in the lies. Just like that question. There's not lies in it, but there's two sides to it, right? Do you find great satisfaction in your work and what you're doing to the point of exhaustion? Number two, do you believe you always need to do your best? And if you don't do your best, do you feel like a failure? Do you have high expectations of yourself and others that kind of drive you to become critical, harsh, negative to yourself and to others? Do you need to get a lot done in order to feel good about yourself? Do you have this insatiable drive for perfection that good is never good enough? 
Do you often set unrealistic goals for yourself? Unrealistic high standards for yourself that you can't possibly meet? This is a great question. Do you have a hard time really celebrating your successes? Maybe you've attained a high goal. Maybe you want to graduate with honors or maybe you want to be the salesperson of the year or the month or maybe you got a promotion or raise. And what you are thinking is, well, that really wasn't anything. No big deal. That's what I should have done. See, you dismiss it rather than celebrate it. Do you dismiss your accomplishments or do you allow yourself to celebrate it? Do you struggle with self-doubt that you're never good enough and when you, when you fall or fail or you fall short of your goals, do you question yourself? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why'd I do that? What's wrong with me? See, subconsciously, we bought into this lie that if I could just do better, then I can put those feelings of self-doubt and inferiority to rest and accept myself. Dr. David uh, Burns, a psychiatrist known for uh, his studies in mood disorders, he has a good description of one who has kind of bought into this lie that he or she needs to be perfect and how it really destroys our emotional moods, our depression Um, often because of this lie. He says, I don't mean the healthy pursuit of excellence by men and women who take genuine pleasure in striving to meet high standards. Without concern for quality, life would seem shallow and true accomplishments would be rare. I'm talking about those whose standards are high beyond reach or reason. People who strain compulsively and unremittingly towards impossible goals, who measure their own worth entirely in terms of productivity and accomplishment. For these people, the drive to excel can only be self-defeating. As Alfred Adler puts it, to be human is to feel inferior. Can you say that with me? To be human is to feel inferior. It's part of life. If you're a human being, at times you're going to feel inferior, like you don't measure up. we got to accept our limitations. we got to accept our imperfections. To err is human. And God makes it very clear. God says this in 1 John 1. He says, if we claim to be without sin, if we think we can be perfect, if if we claim to be without sin, we, what's the word? We deceive ourselves. We believe lies, lies, lies about ourselves. And the what's not in us? The truth's not in us. we got to replace these lies with the truth. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. God says, you can't be a perfect person. So quit trying to be a perfect person. Accept your limitations. Acknowledge, acknowledge your shortcomings. Lower your perfectionistic expectations of yourself. Now the question I keep asking myself is is why? Why do some of us keep holding on to this lie that we must be perfect? Do you know why we keep holding on to this lie? We're afraid. We're afraid that if we just lower our standards, if they're not kept sky high, then we won't accomplish anything. We won't be anything and do anything, and we won't feel good about ourselves. 
You see, it's this drive to prove ourselves that makes us a workaholic. We find our worth in our work rather than finding our worth in our God. Can we say that together? We find our worth in our, rather than finding our worth in our, it's okay to fail. To fail and to fall is human. Success is not fearing failure, but learning from it. But those of you that have bought into this lie, you don't give yourself that luxury. And you beat yourself up. Please hear me. You don't have to be perfect. How many of you know what a PK is? What's a PK? Promise keepers. No, it's not a promise keeper. Good guess. Preacher's kid. Preacher's kid. Now, preacher's kid, really, they really grow up. That's like my kids. Preacher's kids. Okay, so you're trying to figure that out still. Okay. Kids, pastor's kids really grow up with a lot of pressure to be perfect. They got the people in the church expecting them to be perfect. They got the community expecting them to be perfect. my kid's case, it really was a lot of pressure they felt at the private Christian school they went to. They didn't even know what a PK was until they got older in life. And, you know, and the teachers always expected more out of them and from them because they were a preacher's kid. You expect a lot of it out of your pastor, right? And you take those expectations of your pastor and your pastor's wife and you put them, you place them on their kids. And so pastor kids are notorious for growing up thinking they've got to be perfect they got to measure up. And if we're honest, mom and dad, pastor, mom and dad, you know, they're, they're uh, conscious and aware of how people are looking at them and judging them. And so if they're not careful, they're putting all kinds of pressure on their kids to be perfect too because they want to look like the perfect family, right? You know, they, they want to be accepted and included. And so these poor kids, we really need to feel sorry for them. Preparing this message, I almost started crying for my poor kids, you know. I mean, and, and I remember, and I, I had it written down in my journals back when I, like Janelle was like eight years old. I remember purposely asking God to help me not to put that pressure on my kids. And I'm really grateful to this church because this church, you know, uh, didn't put that pressure on my kids. My kids didn't feel it from the church. Just like a pastor's wife. Every pastor's wife is supposed to play the piano. My wife can't play the piano. Wherever she goes, you know, there's that expectation that if you're a pastor's wife, you've got to be able to play the piano and sing like Amy. You're not helping things, Amy, you know. But that's just kind of the expectation that you have, you know. And so our kids grew up with that expectation. And, and I was very mindful of that. Matter of fact, I was so mindful when Janelle was a little girl, I wouldn't let her play with Barbie dolls. Because, you know, Barbie, she was perfect, right? She had a perfect body. She had perfect hair. And I didn't want Janelle going up thinking that she had to be perfect or she had to please men. That really gets me upset, but we won't go there, you know. And, um, and, and when she was about eight, she, she really was, honest and truth, she was perfect. She was daddy's little angel. I mean, she was just perfect, and she's still perfect. But, you know, she was so perfect. Now, my boys, they were daddy's little sinners, you know. <laughs> They were kind of like their father, you know, just always into trouble. And now, you know, Janelle was like, Mom, just a little sweet goody-goody two-shoe, you know, just a sweet little thing. And what Jan and I used to do is that we would purposely really work hard on trying to reward our boys for making good choices and taking responsibility for their energy and their behavior and what they do. And they went to a school where they'd give you called tallies, and they're not like demerits. I mean, you get a tally if you just look bad at the teacher. I mean, they give it, if you even breathe wrong, they'll give you a tally, you know. And so my kids are like five. Five tallies a day, you know, and so the goal we tell our kids, listen, Raymond and Philip, if you're really, really good and you go all week and just get five tallies, I mean, we'll go out as a family and eat pizza. 
You know, we'll, we'll celebrate it, you know. And so we're constantly trying to challenge them and motivate them to make good choices and to, to have a good behavior and to do good things. Now, Janelle never got received to this point a single tally. Never got one. Never got one. And I could tell sometimes she was kind of worried and, and fearful and frightened about getting a tally. And one time we were kind of gathered together and I said, listen, Janelle, I want you to go to school tomorrow and get me a tally. <laughs> you should see a look on her mom's face, you know. What is this pastor of mine teaching my daughter? I said, honey, you don't have to be perfect. As a matter of fact, if you get five tallies this week, I'll give you $5 and we'll still go out as a family and celebrate. You know, and Raymond immediately piped up and said, Dad, that's not fair. You don't give me and Philip, you know, money when we're bad, you know, when we get tallies. I said, son, do you think I'm stupid? You know, you don't need any motivation to get in trouble. Trouble just seems to follow you, Raymond, wherever you go. You know, just like your father, it just seems to follow you. So, you know, I set standard, and I'll never forget. I, I, was making, I came home from work one day. I was living up in Jupiter, and, and uh, I was living up on Hood, on Hood Road, Woodmill Drive. And I got out of my car and walked into the house, and my daughter comes running out to me with this big, beautiful smile. She says, Daddy, Daddy, I got a tally. I said, yes, way to go, honey, way to go. You, you truly are my, my daughter. You know, way to go, honey, you know. And, and we celebrated it, and... And I was excited about it because I wanted Janelle to know you don't have to be perfect. Don't put this lie upon yourself. And I want to say to you this morning, you don't have to be perfect. So stop trying. Quit believing this lie that you have to be perfect, that good is never good enough. Quit deceiving yourself and live in this truth that we are all sinners that need a savior. And we can't save ourselves through our performance, through our good deeds. Paul made that so clear. It's not by works that you can be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's not by your performance. It's not by what you do. It's by believing and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then when you love God, you want, you want to please God. Live in that truth. Nobody's perfect but God. And he sent his own son to die for what? For our imperfections. So that we might really have life. Jesus wants us to know the truth so we can really live. All right, now a second lie that we often buy into is this. I must have everyone's love and approval. Say that with me. I must have everyone's love and approval. Now again, I don't think, you know, this morning you got up and said, man, I'm going to church and I got to really have everyone's love and approval. I mean, you're not like living with this consciously, but subconsciously, many of us, we're living with it. Let me ask you some questions again to help you, uh, you know, see if you've kind of bought into this lie subconsciously. Do you find a great sense of satisfaction in the approval of those who are in authority over you? You like those vata boys and vata girls. It means a lot to you. Do you have a tendency to please others? Are you a peacemaker? Are you only happy when everybody else is happy? Do you enjoy making others happy? Are you kind of upset and distressed when you perceive that others are unhappy with you? Does it kind of put a knot in your stomach when someone's disappointed with your behavior or your choices or what you've done? Do you kind of depend upon others for your own happiness? Is your happiness 
Think about this. Is your happiness always found outside of yourself? And your unhappiness is always someone else's fault. Is it always someone else's fault that you're not happy? You might be believing this lie. Did you grow up feeling or hearing the words, you can't do anything right? Maybe you didn't hear it, but you just kind of felt that, that you, you just, whatever you did, it wasn't good enough. Deep down, do you sometimes feel that you don't deserve to be loved? Do you believe that you have to kind of earn your value and prove your worth by constantly proving yourself? Do you have this inability <coughs> to say no to request? Don't answer that phone. Say no to the request, all right? Do you have this inability to say no to a request? Excuse me. <coughs> do you feel like you have to do things? I have to do this and I have to do that. Not that I choose to do this or I want to do this, but I have to. Do you go through life living a have-to life? Do you at times fear rejection? So you're constantly trying harder? Do you have what's called the Avis complex? Do you have the Avis complex? You know what the Avis complex is? Who's Avis? Avis. Avis was, that's right, car rental company, and it always was number two. And because they had feelings of inferior, they had an advertising model that said what? We try harder. And some of you got an Avis complex. You're constantly living your life never quite feeling good enough, never measuring up, always trying harder and harder and harder. Now let me be clear. This is important. This is real important. This desire to please others is not necessarily bad unless it's pushed to an extreme and you become a people pleaser. You become a codependent where you're dependent upon the approvals of others to feel good about yourself. You're dependent upon others for your own happiness. And Jesus wants to set you free. Free from this need to have to have everybody's love and approval of you. He wants to set you free in order for you to feel good about yourself. Two truths to counter this lie. Number one is this. You can't please everyone, so what's it say? Quit. Quit trying. Say it with me. You can't please everyone, so quit trying. I mean, you might gain someone's approval today, but you'll lose it tomorrow. You're just putting yourself on an emotional roller coaster. The truth is some people, you're not going, some people are never going to like you no matter how hard you try. So quit trying. The reality is, even God can't please everybody. Think about if you had his job. You know, the American concept today, and, and even in the evangelical church of God these days, is that God exists for our happiness, right? For our favor, for our blessing, for our goodness. We think God exists to make us happy. Can you imagine being God up there, trying to make all these human beings happy? What a stressful job. Now, that's a lie, by the way. God doesn't exist for our happiness. We exist for who? For his happiness. And because we exist for his happiness, we can say no. No to pleasing others and say yes to pleasing God. That's what Jesus did. 
You know, it's really beautiful reading his story in the Gospels. You know, he, he didn't try to please everyone. You know, and he couldn't please everyone. You read the stories. I mean, Jesus was Jesus. He was God incarnate, God in flesh. He was full of love. He was full of grace. But yet people were mad at him all the time. People hated him. Jesus couldn't live up to people's expectations of him. They were frustrated with him. But he didn't try to be a people pleaser, but a God pleaser. We got spit all over my face. I feel it. But a God pleaser. See, I'm a people pleaser. I want to get it off of there. Okay. This is good. This is so true. Jesus found his sense of self in the way God saw him. One of my favorite passages of scriptures, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. God said this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And those are the words that every little boy, every son, every daughter wants to hear. This is my daughter whom I love. With her I am well pleased. You see, Jesus' sense of self was anchored in his father's love and approval of him. You lose your sense of self when you look to others for your sense of self. Can you say that with me? You lose your sense of self when you look to others for your sense of self. That's how you get lost. Sometimes you grow up, you have kids, and all of a sudden you find yourself in life and you've lost yourself. You've lost yourself because you are looking to others for your sense of self rather than looking to your creator, rather than looking to God. True happiness comes from within. We find our sense of self in the way that God sees us, not others. And Jesus, it's really beautiful. You, you, you read his life, he was what you'd call a healthy pleaser, not a people pleaser, because he was centered in his father's love. A healthy pleaser is one who wants to please others, but they want to please others for the right reason. They're not trying to please others to gain approval or to gain love, but to help others experience God's approval and God's love. And Jesus achieved this incredible balance between pleasing people and having people treat him with respect. Read the Gospels. It's really amazing. I mean, he was assertive, without being abrasive. He was confident without being cocky. He was self-nurturing without being selfish. He lived in the reality of, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. He didn't live to please others, but he pleased others. He set his own priorities. He made his own decisions because he lived to please God his Father, not man. So you can't please everyone, so quit. Number two, live your life to please God. Say it with me. Live your life to please God. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He lived his life to please God. In Galatians, the church of Galatians, he said this. Galatians 1.10, he said, Obviously... I'm not trying to win the approval of people. Paul says, man, I am not a people pleaser, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. 
And Paul's defending himself against the slanders of the Judaizers and who are questioning him and questioning his motive. And he makes it very, very clear. I'm not a man pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. His goal in life was to please God by serving Jesus Christ. Live your life to please God, not your husband, not your spouse. Live your life to please God, not your children, not your parents, not your boss, not your pastor, not your friends. Live your life to please God. And in pleasing God, you will please others. You see, it's much easier to say no, you know, to say no to people's requests. It's much easier to say no as a people pleaser when you have a burning yes in your heart, when you have a a passionate yes that you want to live your life to please God. When you want to live your life to please God, it makes it a lot easier to say no to people's requests because it's not what they want, it's what does God want. All right. Third self-lie that we often buy into that keeps us from living life to the full is I can't be happy unless things go my way. Now again, some of you sit there thinking, well, that's not me. But subconsciously, we buy into these lies and you can see that we bought into these lies by the choices we make, by the way we live, all right? So I got another set of questions to help us see if we've kind of bought into this lie that you can't be happy unless things go your way. Number one, do you like your house or your car to look or be a certain way? Does everything have its certain place? Can you not enjoy a meal if the service is slow to your liking? Some of you are looking really guilty. Can you not enjoy a movie if someone sits in front of you or is loud or obnoxious? Do you get mad when you get stuck behind a slow car, especially when it's a Ford? Do you have a hard time being happy when things don't go your way or you don't get what you want? Do you pout and you're an adult? Do you fuss? Do you steam when you don't get your way? This is a really good one. You might want to write this one down. Uh, Do you expect life to go the way you think best? (laughs) Do you expect life To go the way you think best. You can't be happy unless things go your way. You've got a control problem. That's what we're talking about. We talked about the workaholic, talked about people pleaser. Now we're talking about the controller. Now, now because I said that, you're going to deny that you believe in this lie. Because no one wants to wear a label. I'm not trying to put a label on someone. But when you go through life expecting things to go the way you think best, is someone who wants to be in control of life. All right? Would you like, and maybe you wouldn't say this, but you'd like the whole world to kind of work around your schedule? Do you get your way at the expense of others? Do you want others to want what you want? Are you resentful? Is it my way, or I'm going to avoid the conversation? (laughs) Is it my way, or you're going to feel my displeasure or my anger? This is another great question. You might want to write this one down. Do you think in terms of I or we in your life? 
Do you live your life thinking in terms of I want or we want, they want? Do you look at your marriage as an I or as a we? Is it what I want or is it what we want? Is the I in your relationship stronger than the we? If you're saying, yes, you have bought in, we have bought into this lie that we can't be happy unless things go our way. And the truth is, traffic lights don't change when you want them to. People talk when you wish they would just shut up. Spouses are unkind when you need some kindness. Lines are always longer, it seems like, when you're in a hurry. Life's not always going to go your way. And if you can't accept that, that truth is going to make you miserable. And you're going to be miserable and you're going to make life miserable for everyone who lives with you and works with you. And a marriage isn't going to work unless you can get rid of the I and begin to work on the we. It's not what I want, it's what do we want. You see, the truth is, life's not going to always go your way. And when we wins, you win. And it really is true. After studying the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, you read about him and his letters. I kind of get the feeling that this guy growing up, he was kind of like a my way or the highway kind of guy. He was kind of bought into this lie that I can't be happy unless things kind of go my way. You know, you kind of get that feeling. And then you, you read his letters and you see that he learned to die to I and let go of control. Listen to what he told the church at Philippi. He said this, man, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, you know. I can't be happy unless things go my way. For I have learned to be, what's the word? Content. Whatever the circumstances, traffic lights, someone talking at a movie theater, whatever the circumstances, I have learned to be, what's the word? Content. I know what it's like to be in need, and, and I know what it's like to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living <coughs> or in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ, through Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. Paul learned to quit living his life in the strength of the flesh, but learned to live his life through the strength of Christ. He told the, the Galatian church this. He says, man, I've been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. I, I, I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, we, we need to die to I and live for Christ. And that truth will set us free. It will set us free to be content. It will set us free to be more flexible. Free to push through what life throws at us. Free to experience Christ and his love and all its fullness. Free to live life to its full. Free if we will die to I and live 
for Christ. So will you? Will you do that? Will you today? Will you right now die to I, die to self, die to pride, and live for Christ? Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed, can you pray? God help me to die to I and live for Christ. This morning, can you pray and say, God, I acknowledge my need for you. I ask you to save me. Help me to live in your love. Can you pray right now this morning and say, God, I want to die to this lie that I have to be perfect. I thank you for dying for my imperfections. I acknowledge this morning my limitations that I can't save myself. Save me. Save me. Save me from myself. Save me from my pride. Save me from these lies that I believe. Can you pray right now this morning and say, God, I want to die to the lie that I must have everyone's love and approval. God, I thank you that you love me and that you accept me as I am and that you believe in me as your child. Help me to live in that love. God, help me to die to the eye that, that I can't be happy unless things go my way. God, help me to die to the eye in my marriage and my relationships. Help me to live for the we. What do we want? What's best for us? Can you pray this morning and say, God, help me to let go of control. God, help me to let go of control. Help me to put my faith and trust in you. God, help me to see the truth about myself and to live in this truth. Father, we thank you so much this morning that you love us. You love us like a hurricane. You love us. Help us to see the truth of your incredible love and that you came to give us life and life to the full. Father, help us to expose the lies and to believe the truth and to allow you and your spirit to transform our lives. Help us to see truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.